0: It's like when you taste healthy love, um, what you were attracted to now repels you. Vulnerable, kinder, more compassionate, more understanding, curious instead of judgmental, all of that stuff, I think that makes us three dimensional and more human. If you allow what's happening to harden you, you're going to have a fist and you're going to punch walls and you're gonna be who I was 10 years ago, which is angry and unhappy and think that the, the world is not fair. I think this stuff should be taught in high school instead of geometry and things that we never use, right? If we were taught uh, what a boundary looks like and how to do it and why it's important and to start setting those, there would be more self esteem in this world.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information Kerwinray.com. ladies and gentlemen it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to
0: unstoppable today known as the angry therapist john kim great to have you here mate I love your voice, man. Your voice is very the energy behind your voice is uh um it's 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 explosive, but but calm. I love it. I thank love you. it. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. No, it's good yeah. to have
1: you here. I almost expect you to go, thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, I didn't blow your eardrums out there. Mate, i no, to- but
0: that was uh that was 10 years ago, maybe. Yeah, right.
1: Okay. So there was yeah. an angry man in there at some point.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Oh, that's amazing. And I'm 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 keen to to find out more about this journey. Um, and I got to say, like I, uh, when your producers put me, when my producers put me on, on uh, you across my desk, I, I was I was interested. But what's interesting is I'd already I'd already heard about you, i already stumbled mm. upon you in uh, in a couple of uh, in a couple of articles. So, yeah, this is kind of a little bit serendipitous for me. But I am curious, and I ask all my guests this question. Well, I've only started asking it in the last couple of months. You know, you clearly do a lot. You've had a big life. You've done a range of different things. But when you're in a dinner party and you know a group of six or eight people and no one knows who you are. And somebody asked that question and everybody drops silence. So what do you do, John?
0: How do you yeah. answer that question? I used to just say, you know, I'm a therapist. Um, and it's interesting when you say you're a therapist, people either get really quiet or they <laughs> they want a session right there. You know, yeah. it's like when you say you're, you're, you're a police officer, they either go one way or the other. Um, so now I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I call myself. I guess an author, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm still a therapist, you know, so I... I don't mind just saying I'm a therapist or an author.
1: Well, you're actually a legit. Like, you're a licensed marriage and family therapist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I'm legit. But you're, <laughs> you're not just someone who's, like, you know, putting fake credentials on the wall. And you're doing really good stuff. But what I'm curious to know, mate, is where did it all begin? Because you haven't always been a therapist.
0: No, no. Um, it started with a broken heart. It started uh, 10 years ago when I went through a, a divorce and a rebirth. Um, I was, before that, I was a, a screenwriter. No kidding. You're, yeah, I'm going
1: to assume you're being a screenwriter. You clearly live in California. You're in uh,
0: yeah. You're in LA. Yeah, I've been here for uh, my entire life. Um, L A, all over L A. Yeah, right. Let me
1: guess. Right now, West Hollywood. Am I right?
0: No, close. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Pasadena, Glendale area. Yeah, uh, right. You know, everything, Everything's thirty minutes away in L A. Yeah,
1: and how is it in L A. at the moment? What's the temperature like uh, in terms no, of the- Corona? Everything else that's going on.
0: Yeah, the temperature is gorgeous oh, as stop always. It. Um yeah, but uh it's weird because um not a lot of people are out. Uh, things are closed, of course. I don't know how yep. it is over there. Um Same. but the uh the air quality is amazing and there's no traffic. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so And
1: so you're a screenwriter. And so everybody goes to LA to be a screenwriter, but then how do you yeah. transition from being a sc- or a screenwriter or an actor or but you know, it's that hard? But how do you transition from screenwriter to family, you know, angry therapist?
0: Um, grinding a lot and realizing that uh, uh, writing screenplays uh, wasn't making you happy. It wasn't fulfill, uh, fulfilling. Um, and then at the same time, going through uh, uh, a marriage that was that was falling apart. So it was a combination of all of that stuff. Um, I pursued screenwriting for about nine years, went to film school, uh, was really passionate about it. And somewhere along the journey, um, lost my sense of self. Yeah, and right. I think I was doing it for the wrong reasons, you know, chasing shiny things.
1: Yeah, right. It seems to yeah. me there's it's a possibility that uh, that skill might be able to come back and serve you at some point in the future. I can actually see a movie. Th- I can see a movie title, The Angry Therapist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's weird the, the way the universe works there. I mean, because of my book, um, I Used to Be a Miserable Fuck, there's been some um you know possible production or movie you know stuff like that um but i'm a different person now and it's not what i'm meant to do um so, and so i try to detach from that it was
1: about nine ten years ago you went through the relationship breakdown
0: yep around uh around nine or ten years ago yeah wow it's been a decade yeah wow and so was that the epitome of the dark night for the soul for you is that what brought
1: you th- yep. to therapy is it the breakdown yeah. that brought you to therapy
0: I was already in therapy uh, trying to uh, work on myself or you know, fix my marriage, um, but I don't think I was really doing the work, right? I was, I was in it because I uh, was afraid and I was in it because uh, I, I wanted to do my piece and fixing something. Um, and then once I got divorced and, and started all over with nothing, you know, no friends, no money, no, no career, uh, then I started to uh, do it for myself like for the first time in my life, actually um, get on a path of um, working on me.
1: You weren't trying to work on yourself to please someone else. You weren't trying to work on yourself to save a marriage. All of a sudden, you started to work on yourself for you. Holy shit, I didn't even realize that I had actually done that exact same thing until you Mm. you said that I spent a period of my time when I was married, yeah, doing exactly the same thing. That's so interesting. And so did you reach a pretty dark place yourself personally before you came out?
0: Yeah, um absolutely. I uh I hit my, my version of rock bottom and it was in all areas of my life. So my career wasn't working out. Um I spent most of my days, fourteen hours a day at a coffee shop trying to write, you know, the the million dollar screenplay. And so by doing that, I had no self care. I, I, I had no joy in my life, I had no friends, I had no money. Um and then the marriage was uh the divorce was kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back that uh made me realize i need to, to change my life i need to, to, to be someone different or i i'm just gonna stay miserable you know
1: and so rebuilding your life whilst going through therapy for yourself what does that look like like because you know you you've got no money you've got no job you've got no relationship how did you start rebuilding
0: um i well at this point i was in therapy school becoming a therapist oh, so you'd already gone and,
1: into therapy school at this point
0: yeah at this point um i wasn't licensed but right. i was you know it's, it's actually a long road but i was in grad school at 35, um, I, I was doing something I never told myself that I would do, which is go back to school. I'm a C student. I hate school, um, but I love psychology and um, the universe threw me into nonprofit. And, um, you know, I was making like 35 grand a year. I had great benefits, uh, but it wasn't what I imagined. A therapist to be, you know, I wanted to be like Dr. Drew. I wanted to have a fancy office with those silver balls and walk in with a latte and and, and help people that way. Uh, but in nonprofit, I work with addicts, and um, I realized that we live in a fatherless nation that um, dad's not home either emotionally or 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 or, uh, or physically. And so, working with um, addicts and a lot of teenagers, um, I just grew a fire in my belly. Uh, to go on this journey of what it looks like to be a man um you know all of these hard questions that we ask ourselves and although i was helping them i felt like they were helping me i just didn't know it at the time
1: it's so interesting because i find the same construct whenever i'm doing a, an intervention or a coaching session you know i mm-hmm. often find myself reflecting you know projecting in some respect right. and, and hearing my own story and coaching myself do you remember the moment when you were in therapy for yourself where you decided that that was going to be your your life and that was going to be your life from a you know from a, a commercial perspective
0: yeah uh, i was talking to my own therapist and he said if you can't write screenplays if you, if you can't you know um, make movies what do you want to do with your life and i was like man um i want to do with you what you're doing if i can't move people by the masses i want to do it one at a time i've always loved uh, psychology and um, he was like well then do it and i said no i i don't want to go back to school you know i hate school And he's like, uh, you just need a master's it's a couple of years. And so I did that. What he didn't tell me is you need 3000 hours to become licensed, which ended up taking me six years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a long journey, man. And that's
1: a part of your journey in the not for profit sector, I'm assuming, because that's where you yeah. started to get your three thousand hours. Right, correct?
0: Yep. And it was like it was like that Rocky song came on and I was the basement guy doing pull ups. I found CrossFit. I got some tattoos. I, you know, got a motorcycle and I kind of went on <laughs> my version of um. Of, uh, e, pray love. Yeah, e, right. love prayer. Yeah. yeah, But like my version of that. So yeah. um, finding myself through barbells and donuts and and two wheels uh, instead of going on exotic adventures, which I didn't, I couldn't afford at the time.
1: Yeah, but I'm going to assume the 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 gift of being thrown into a not for profit early in your career is it would have given you a disproportionate level of experience that most therapists would probably wait. You know, decades to receive because I'm going to assume not for profits. And I don't mean this in the in the context of labeling someone's value, but you're probably dealing with the issues that are worse of the worst. Yes. The the trenches. Yeah. The trenches. And so, yeah, and I quite confronting because you've gone from this, I guess, is perhaps expectation. I don't know. You'll tell me in a moment. That you're going to be a therapist much like in a context where you're used to and then all of a sudden you're mm-hmm. you're working with um with i'm going to assume addicts and people who've been abused mm-hmm. was that quite a, yep. a shock in the context of well hang on i'm not sure this is what i signed up for
0: a hundred percent i was uh i had a lot of resistance you know i was waving my <sighs> masters thinking that i was better than them and i didn't sign up to work in non-profit wear a uniform and work with teenagers i felt like i was a school counselor um, And it was really humbling. Uh, but once I was able to kind of like uh, you know let go of my ego and a lot of definitions of what a therapist looked like, then I um, it was almost a spiritual experience where it really uh, changed my life. And, and the bonds that I created with these kids uh, were just it changed me forever. You know.
1: And you you made a quote which I I uh,
0: wrote down. You said you realize that we're living in a fatherless nation. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. It? It. Um, so over the five years I was there. Uh, I probably helped, you know, um, close to a thousand kids and wow. meeting all their parents and realizing that uh, dad, dad's not there, um, either emotionally gone or physically gone. So I saw the byproduct of that, which was. Um, you know, boys either trying to be me or fight me and then a girl standing too close, no boundaries. And they lacked this emotional milk that they didn't get. And that's why they were addicts. They were always coping or numbing or doing something to fill a void inside. And then I got the fire to, to, to really think about what it looks like to be a man, you know? And I was a total boy at that point. So I went on my little man journey. Um, a 35 year old boy at this point. 35, <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and Ang- angry. A 35-year-old angry boy. Well, we're going to get the angry part in a moment. But,
1: but what does that journey look like when you start to realize, well, shit, I'm 35 years of age, but I'm still, I'm still a kid inside. How do you become um, a man at 35?
0: Oh, God. I think it's different for everyone. I think it starts with first um, really looking inward, you know, um, who am I? Um, what is my worth? Um, what is my passion? Uh, you know, it's this idea of living inside out instead of outside in it. And, right. and I think I lived most of my life, especially grew up in, in Hollywood, where there's just a lot of shiny things and, and and fancy, you know, cars and money and all that in the entertainment business. Um living outside in. So exchanging my truth for membership, trying to be someone that I'm not, right? And then nonprofit stripped me of that and just threw me into the trenches. And I started to um, finally like, like humanize myself and ask a lot of hard questions, like, you know, who I am and where I want to go.
1: Was there any reparenting involved in that? Like in terms of reparenting the younger version of yourself at the current age you're in?
0: Yeah. Um, it was a lot of um, being alone and connecting to parts of myself that I've locked away. Right. If that makes sense. So Totally. Um,
1: Had you identified yeah, elements of codependence that were keeping you in a loop that you re- realized that I need some isolation, I need some solitude in order to work this
0: out on my own? Yeah. Um, I think in my marriage, I was very codependent. It was very sticky, a lot of dysfunction. Uh, my dad's an alcoholic, you know, so I've got the addictive gene. Uh, I was angry. I was reactive, all of that stuff. And so, Um, the divorce cut me at my knees and made me to finally uh, start looking at that, right? Um, Where it's coming from, uh, how it's affecting my relationships, you know? And then what can I do to change that?
1: And when did the angry moniker come in? Because you seem such Um, a calm, chill dude. Like like (laughs) you've just stepped out of a meditation center or something.
0: No, it's because I'm 47 now. Um, (laughs) I can say the same (sighs) thing. Man, I think, uh, you know, I I was angry because I was unhappy. I was angry because um, life wasn't going as I planned, right? All of that. Um, And when I uh, went through this rebirth, I had a lot of time on my hands. And and Tumblr was kind of big at the time, so I created a blog. And I called it The Angry Therapist because I just thought it was kind of funny that a therapist is angry. But what I was saying without knowing it is um, that I'm human. So I started to post about my feelings and that I'm, you know, I I didn't know anyone would read it. So I was very transparent. I was very vulnerable. And then I think people thought it was interesting that there was this Korean guy, you know, on motorcycles with tattoos, calling himself the angry therapist and talking about his feelings. And so um, that kind of started uh, everything for me. And
1: did you, did you notice that you kind of attracted a certain type of market person or people or, or demographics started to really resonate with the message that you were putting out there?
0: Yeah, so I started to write about um, love, and I started to write about um, going through a breakup and looking at the black box to see what what, what went wrong, um, and I started to document, um, you know, a lot of CrossFit stuff. I was into um, working out and self care and all that, and so it it, it actually ended up tr- attracting a lot of women um, between, yeah, wow, um, thirty to fifty, and I think it's because um, I represented something. Maybe I represented. Um, a guy who was working on on himself, or talking about love, or being vulnerable, and maybe for them um, that 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 was lacking in their life, or maybe that was you know different, or something they haven't seen. I don't know.
1: And so, fast forward to now, how old are you now? You're Forty-seven now. So you've been on this journey. Forty-seven. Wow. So you've been on this the therapist journey for for twelve years now. Yeah, yeah. And so what's changed? Like looking at where you are now, like you you've still got the blog, you're about to write you're, or you've just written a book. I used to be as miserable mm-hmm. as fuck. Has that been published yet?
0: Yep. Yes, that's been published. It's I uh, used to be a miserable oh, fuck. I used to be a and, miserable uh, fuck. That's even better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that was published by Harper and uh that's it's been a, about a year, so that's it's doing really well and I just uh sold another book called Single on Purpose and that comes out in 2021. So
1: so the screenwriting uh, skills have come in very handy, I'm going to assume, with, uh, with, with what you're doing now.
0: Yeah, you know, um, it's something that I'm realizing is um, how the universe plants seeds and uh, it, like a boomerang comes back in ways that you never thought of. And so um, I still channel my writing, except I'm not writing screenplays, I'm writing self-betterment books. Yeah, right.
1: And so I'm, yeah. I'm going to assume, do you still do one-on-one work? You're still working with people?
0: Yeah, I, um, I don't do a lot of that, um, but I do uh, once in a while, I'll do, I'll do one-on-one sessions um, and I'm using, you know, um, um, social media, uh, doing videos and you know, all of that stuff uh, to, to throw a wider net.
1: And so people say that when doing therapy with you is an, is an unconventional form of therapy. What is it about your therapy that you think makes it a little bit
0: unconventional? Um, so when I started, um, I couldn't afford an office. Um so I would meet people at coffee shops. And so I called myself a coach because as a therapist, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. The internet uh, webcam started coming out and I wanted to see people like this via via, via Skype or via um, the webcam and, and you're not supposed to do that either. And I was like, man, you know, being a therapist is very constricting, and I wanted to show up as I was. So I met people, you know, at at a lake. I would bring them into the gym. I would do things that you weren't really supposed to do as a therapist. Uh And I realized that, uh, especially the new generation, they actually liked it, and they thought it was refreshing to take therapy out of the office, and I meet the client You know where they're at, I mean, literally. And uh, showing up just on my Harley with the jeans and a t-shirt and coming in as myself, um, I think they thought that was different. And so I feel like that's kind of the new way where people are more interested in who you are yeah. instead of the letters after your name.
1: Wow, what an authentic way to present. And what a way to disrupt. Um,
0: you know, the, I, I mean, I didn't do it. No, I can I didn't do it on purpose. Doing, right. but, but yeah,
1: but I'm just speaking to 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 what you've shared, which is what a way to present to someone who you're looking for. You know. To support, because obviously, if someone's going to a therapist, um, and I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, I've done a lot of therapy over my life. But if someone's new to therapy, Mm -hmm. there's often a lot of uh, assumptions, there's a lot of fears, there's a lot of unknowns, uncertainty, and those are the things that will often prevent people getting to the level of vulnerability that's required to share the meaningful things that can really make an impact when they're delved into. But showing up on a on a fucking Harley, like taking someone into a CrossFit gym, you know, turning up at a lake, like that literally disarms someone straight away. And it's like, wow, okay, something's different here. Um, and I'm hoping that this is going to be perhaps, yeah, a signal of where therapy could go in the future. Do you think there's any possibility that therapy could potentially go this way in the future where it is perhaps a little bit more acceptable from a, from a, a legal standpoint to be able to, to, to work with clients
0: in this way? I don't know. I, I I hope so because I think um I think the uh clinical world it needs an update, exactly. you know, it needs a refresh. Um I know that when I started you weren't supposed to see anyone out of your state especially uh, on online and I don't know what they're doing now, but yeah, uh, you know, we have the uh technology to jump into anyone's living room at any time. Like that's amazing to me. So mm. like why why not use use that? And so um I, I don't know. I, I think it's changing. I think um, the temperature of wellness and therapy, the stigma is, is slowly dissolving. And I think we are um, interested in a, a new way of helping people. And I
1: think that could end up being one of the um, the benefits of, of COVID is, you know, because what we're yeah. seeing right now is some benefits in the medical space here in Australia. And I'm not sure what it's like over yeah. there, where doctors are finally able to do more, you know, um, online consultations. And again, yes. I'm not sure of the breadth in terms of the therapy side and the psychology side, but to me, it would seem, especially with the situation that we are in globally right now, there's almost a requirement for therapy to go online mm-hmm. because of the isolation. And it's not just right. because of the isolation, but also because of the, I'm going to suggest the impacts of the isolation. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. the, and again, there's not uh, there's not a lot of data that's coming out there right now to suggest what how how good or bad that is. But you know, I, I'm sure you would agree it's a little concerning. Uh, that there are a lot of people out there right now who are mentally unwell, who need support and aren't able to get it because of the situation that we're in globally
0: yeah absolutely and there's a lot of stuff happening i think that's going to change also um a lot of group work so Mm -hmm. using things like zoom where you're running um therapy groups where you're using the community whether it's five people or 20 to all grow through each other instead of this one-on-one thing i think when you do therapy in an office uh, the stigma of going into an office and feeling like there's something wrong with you especially with men Mm -hmm. you know a lot of men um, won't go to therapy because they, uh, the stigma behind it. But, you know, if I say, Hey, meet me at the gym or meet me at the lake, we're going to go for a run. You know, it disarms them. It's a lot more uh, cl- casual over clinical. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and of course you have to do it with boundaries and, and with, you know, structure, but, um, I think you're just going into it more with someone instead of at someone. It's
1: almost like creating a human therapy versus a clinical type of therapy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and listen, I'm not for everyone, and there's going to be a lot of pushback, and yeah, I get, I get a lot of pushback from from clinicians. But um, I de- I decided, you know, ten years ago when I threw my when I went through my rebirth, um, I'm going to live in a way that's honest to me. Um, and I did the clinical stuff. So I worked in high end treatment centers after the nonprofit, I worked in, you know, in Malibu and I worked in uh, different rehabs and stuff. I had a full private practice and, um, I I felt like Clark Kent pushing the mail cart. And then when I was doing things my own way, when I was showing up, you know, in the jeans and the Harley and let's just go do a workout and do life, if we're going to talk about life, I felt more like Superman. I felt more like I was, you know, at my potential. Yeah, right. What have you found
1: more effective um, in the context of therapy, group or individual?
0: Uh, Group. Group is so powerful. Have you seen that movie, The Breakfast Club? Oh God. Oh my God. That's like a really old 80s. movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I can't even remember it, but yeah, I think I saw it like yeah. 20
0: years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, well, a John Hughes film. Um, but it's about kids in detention and, and how they kind of like bond through that, um, hour and uh group is like that, you know, different people, different walks of life and kind of growing through each other. Mm. I think, um, That at the intersection of technology, and now that uh, the webcam and things like Zoom is common language, I think it's so powerful. I think it's going to be the new way. I think it's what people want, and I think it's also going to make therapy cheaper Mm -hmm. because therapy can be very expensive.
1: It's interesting because I found the same correlations when I'm working with my clients. Because you know, I I am, you know, I guess considered a coach. I do work in the performance space specifically, Mm mainly. You know, ninety percent of that, eighty percent of that, in business, and twenty percent is in other areas of performance. But what I find, which is echoing what you're saying, is I get far more traction in a group environment than I do in, in an yeah. individual environment. And what I find, and maybe you can relate to this, is when people are talking in a group environment, there's a lot more therapy going on than when yeah. there's one person having a conversation. Sure. But there also seems to be greater levels of uh, accountability um, Yes. when, you know, people are making, you know, declarations, not just to a therapist. They're now making, making declaration to one therapist and perhaps, you know, seven right. years
0: yeah and there's different perspectives and as a therapist you're facilitating instead of you know um, lecturing or trying to control right. the group and and the group kind of takes the life of its own mm. you know so, which is really powerful
1: and i think that's the key facilitation so matt I, i'm yeah. going to assume you've learned some incredible lessons in life in love relationships uh, addiction you know about being a man in therapy in general w- what is the thing right now that you look at the world and you go okay if there's one thing i'm seeing that Because, again, there's a lot of individual applications, but let's look global now. If there's one thing that you see the world really needs right now, what do you think that is?
0: Oh, man. Um, I think the world needs to, uh, by the world, I mean also individually. um, With what's happening, uh, I think it's either going to harden us or soften us, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on you what comes up and how you process that so whenever we're forced to sit still like we're doing now there's going to be a lot of resistance there's going to be a lot of fight and you could either run away from yourself or toward and so we're running toward yourself means to really examine what's coming up where it's coming from and processing that you know Um, running away from yourself means to be judgmental uh to react um you know every, everything that's gonna get you to disconnect you you with you, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes total sense. So you're talking yeah. about
1: how do we become hardy, not hardened.
0: Yes. How do we be? And when I say softer, I don't mean I don't mean that in a weakness way, yeah. right? I and mean, vulnerable. I mean vulnerable, kinder, more compassionate, more understanding, curious instead of judgmental, all of that stuff. I think that makes us three-dimensional and more human. Um, If you allow what's happening to harden you, you're going to uh, have a fist And you're going to punch walls and you're going to be who I was 10 years ago, which is angry and unhappy and think that the the world is not fair.
1: And so perhaps there's someone out there right now who's listening to this and going, man, I can really relate to that part of the life where, you know, I was completely and I was unfulfilled pursuing something that I, I thought I wanted to do, but I became disillusioned. I'm in a bad relationship or not the relationship I want, or I'm an angry person or I'm all of those things. If you were to look at someone in that same situation, and go, look, I've only got five minutes. Okay. But here are the oh, th- no, but let's right. like, the speed speed therapy, right? <laughs> can make yeah, make yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. would be the like here are the two, three, four things that you know really helped me that if you if you do follow tick them, you know, it it should it should put you on the, at least the path to 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 some form of you know um, development.
0: Yeah. So I talk a lot about containers, which is our life space, I call it container. A lot of us have cracked containers. So if you're in an abusive relationship, that's a cracked container and a cracked container stunts your growth, right? And you can make your own container. You could rebuild your life space. And so that would be my first thing. What does that look like? And working inward, I would say we all have a pseudocyte, which is the false, the inauthentic, the approval seeking, the codependency, all of that, you know, narcissism. And then we have a solid self. The solid self is the authentic self. And usually the solid self is a quiet whisper. It's, it's the voice that we don't listen to because of society and, and, and all of that. And especially now with social media, um, we, we, we usually listen to our pseudo side. So I would say to start listening to your solid self. And that's going to change the, the project, trajectory of your, of your life. And that, that's kind of like what I did. You know, my, my screenwriting days, my Hollywood days was all pseudo. It was me um, listening to who I should be, where I should go, what happy should look like. And then my solid self after the divorce when I had nothing, it was like, what is my truth? How do I stand on it? And keep listening to that until that voice grows louder and louder. And then you start living inside out instead of outside in.
1: I think you guys have the same level of uh, divorce rates that we do in Australia. It's something you know catastrophic, like two out of three marriages end in divorce. Um, And look, I'm sure we could point to a whole range of different variables. And this is less about divorce and more about the context and the containers of relationships. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be an area that is, you know, there's always a a new book coming out. There's always another article. And it seems to be a a hot topic because everyone is in relationship with somebody, you know. And so as a result, relationship dynamics are common in everyday life. Not everybody has the awareness to be able to govern or to be able to be aware of the role that they play and the quality of those but Mm -hmm. you mentioned pseudo self and i've you know i've experienced this myself because going back you know 20 years ago 25 years ago i was the ultimate comedian Mm -hmm. you know i was Mm. totally pseudo you know i could i could morph into any situation circumstance and i could be whoever was required at that moment but after 10 years of doing that i kind of or maybe more maybe you know 25 years of doing that um i'm at the point of my late 20s i really started to lose who i was right right and I think that in itself, you know, demonstrates one issue that some of us deal with is trying to be something that we're not in order to please the masses. Mm -hmm. But it also, to me, when I look back, it also helps me understand why some of the relationships that I had played out the way that they did. Because oftentimes I would, you know, being a pseudo self, I would attract others who were pseudo self. Right. So you'd have two pseudos trying to have a relationship without actually getting to know who that solid self really was.
0: Yeah, and you just have a lot of cardboard cutouts yeah. instead of actual world people. What was the catalyst in your life that made you um, start listening to your soul and stuff? Um, I got an absolute uh, – it was in Perth. It was um, – I could almost tell you the year. I think it was
1: 2003. And I'd mm. just been on. I just had a, uh, I guess you could say an, an unwarranted, an un, uninvited coaching session from a really good mate of mine who just laid it mm. on the line and said, You are just so full of shit. He goes, You are just, uh, you know, a
0: total. He called, he called you out.
1: He called me out big time. And I went on a walk. Yeah. And I was walking through Perth and I literally uh, happened across a lady who collapsed right in front of me. She goes into, she has a heart attack right in front of me. And so all of a sudden, I'm I'm resussing this lady. I've got police and ambulance there. And then, you know, whether it be seven to 12 minutes later, I'm I'm putting this goonie in the back of an ambulance. The doors slam, the police run away and the ambulance takes off and I'm standing there by myself. And I Mm. looked down and there was a plaque that said October 1974. And I was born in October 1974. Oh wow! Yeah, and it was at that moment. Yeah, I made a, I made some pretty big some pretty big choices. But it took time, and I think you would agree. Like whenever you make a choice, yeah. changes in most yeah. cases, you know, uh, despite what some people say, it doesn't always happen in an instant. A change in perspective no. can happen in an instant. Right. Um, but it took a period of time of me taking. I actually took went on to take two years off, I did nothing, mm. just to find mm. out who am I when I'm not distracted. You know, who am I when Do I'm like when I'm not pursuing something? And I, are you familiar yeah. with David Dieter?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, his book, The Way of the Superior oh, Man. Uh, every boy should
1: read that, right?
0: Everybody yeah, that's the first it. thing I read after my divorce and oh, it inspired me. Yeah.
1: And that was one of the books yeah. that, that came across my desk at the time. And he talks about the importance of doing nothing so as not mm. to be distracted to find your genuine purpose. And that's what I did. I spent two years doing nothing to find out who the fuck is this guy that I've been living with for 32 years, 30 years at this point. Um, and it was pretty confronting, I've got to say.
0: Yeah, and this is what's happening with the world. We're forced to do nothing right now, in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, other other than taking all the chaos that's happening. And so um, what happened to you can actually happen, I think, on a global scale with what's happening, being forced to do nothing and being confronted by um, all of these things that you're talking about and then making that choice, who am I? There's a lot of um, people making big life decisions. There's a lot of divorces happening. There's a lot of um, things happening because of the pandemic.
1: And I think it's going to be a great uh, uh, a great trigger for awareness and and growth and consciousness overall. Yeah. I think it's going to be yeah. perfect. But where I'm going with this is when you start becoming more aware of your solid self, you start seeing pseudo in others. It becomes a lot more apparent,
0: yes, yes, absolutely. Your um lenses change, yeah, you know it's like when you taste healthy love. Um, what you were attracted to now repels you. Yeah. It's like, uh, and I, and I think that as we change internally, and that's what we're talking about when you start pulling from your solid more than pseudo and you actually change internally, um. You're right that the, you 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 have left to- less tolerance for less, bullshit or less, for fakeness or anything like that. But
1: this is where I found the context of judgment can creep in because you start judging others and self and putting mm. yourself perhaps in an elevated position. You go well, I can't relate to that person the way that I want because I can still see pseudo elements of their self. And it was like when I first started studying, uh, I did this mad 15 year dash where I studied deception at a really high level. I I studied with Paul Ekman and David Matsumoto and Phil mm. Houston and I studied the world's best you know, analysts when it comes to uh, detecting deception in, in, sure. in physical environments. And all of a sudden, in the first three years, I became completely disillusioned because I realized, holy shit, everybody's lying.
0: Yeah, Like, for real. <laughs> right. i like, fuck, everybody right. lies
1: every day. But then right. it, took me, it took me a period of time to go, well, everybody lies for different reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. Some people are lying mm-hmm. because they're legitimate, you know, they're legit fucking scumbags. But some people are lying because it's just self-preservation. It's because how they were taught. It's, uh, you know, um, um, oh, I'm hiring. Un- yeah, it's all wiring. And some, you know, sometimes a woman will look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm just so ugly, but she's, you know, she's a goddess. And that in itself is mm-hmm. still some, some form of deception. And so I kind of had to find this place where it was like, okay, everybody lies, but for different reasons, but it's not a reason to remove someone from your life completely. It's a reason to perhaps want to understand them more. And so yeah. when we now contrast that against relationships, because there's going to be a lot of people that are, you know, finding more of their solid self. And as they mm-hmm. find more of their solid self, they're going to see more pseudo in others. But perhaps Mm -hmm. when they see the pseudo in others, they're going to look at that as a reason not to relate, not perhaps giving way to the possibility that there's a solid self under there that just needs some support to remove some of the pseudo aspects of their life. Now, without getting into the dynamic of what would be considered a codependent dynamic, how Mm -hmm. do we, as we start to grow, manage ourselves but also in relationship to others so that we don't just… You know, hit everyone with the same brush. You go well. You're your pseudo self, so I can't relate to you yet. I can't get, I can't get deep with you. How how do we navigate that? How do you distinguish?
0: Yeah, I think um, you know, as you become more um, authentic or comfortable or connected to yourself, if you um, draw. Boundaries where you let certain people in because uh, you know they're the kind of person that you you actually want to build a relationship, and then you and then you don't. I think that's great, but if you do it to the extreme where you create your own island, then that in itself is pseudo. So if you are now judging everyone because you have you're on a uh, you know you you're like you know self actualizer, you think you're on a pedestal because you're so solid. That's actually not solid. That, to me, that's actually pseudo. It's like you've now you know gone the other way. Um, I, I think pseudo self is vulnerability. I think it's compassion. I think it's acknowledging your 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 journey, your weaknesses, your story, but also other people as well. So if you see pseudo in someone, instead of um, judging them, try to see where that's coming from. Try to be a catalyst. Try to understand before before being uh, trying to be understood. You know, and I think. That's more solid, uh, not kicking people out of your life. Mm.
1: Mm. Oh, fuck. I love this conversation. And so now, I guess, um, have you got much experience with addiction?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, I, about five years yeah. of, of helping people, but also uh, my dad was an alcoholic. And so, you know, seeing it in, in my father as well.
1: And so what have been some of the ways that you've seen people progress in um, addictive environments where they're either an addict themselves or they're, you know, someone that's in an, a, in an addictive environment? Like, what have you seen as some of the 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 pathways that people can take? You know, let's start with the with the addict. Maybe there's someone out there who's identified themselves where they realize that there's an issue with a, either a substance or a behavior, mm-hmm. um, but they haven't got to the point where they've actually got help yet. How do you? What advice
0: would you give for someone who's in that situation who's listening? Um, usually, you have to hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Usually, uh, because whatever you're addicted to um, is comes first, right? Comes above your marriage, your friends, your job, whatever. Uh, the, the true addict, that is number one. And so in order for them to decide that they don't want that in their life anymore, they have to hit such a low where they lose something and they're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. So a lot of times they lose custody or lose lose, you know, their their favorite career or friends or whatever. And then they, they say, okay, I'm done. Uh, most people don't draw that line. Most people think that they could turn down their addiction and keep going um and it always rears its ugly head you know it's um it it, it's it's with you forever you have to learn how to control it
1: and so perhaps let's let's talk to the to the people who see themselves on the milder spectrum of addiction who are going fucking hell i don't i don't want to crash my life in order to get better but i'm aware Mm -hmm. that this could potentially progress if i don't actually do something about it what advice
0: would you give to them to actually do something about it. Meaning uh, most people talk a lot of shit. Mm. Most people read a lot of books, um, they don't put action behind their words. So if you are a uh, if you have an addiction, whether that is drugs, alcohol, porn, whatever it is, um, thinking about it, and talking about it isn't enough. Like, what are you actually doing? What are you doing? You know, you if you want to change your body, uh, you could watch a lot of workout videos. But if you never get your ass in the gym, nothing's gonna change. And so you have to change your life, you have to change uh, your perspective, you have to change your, your wiring, as we're talking about. It's not just, um, okay, I'm, gonna, um, you know, do uh, I'm going to do something, I'm going to read about something, I'm going to you know, consider something. You know, there's a difference between being interested and um, being committed, and I think addiction takes commitment.
1: What is the benefits that you've seen of addiction? because I'm going to assume after five years of working with addicts, it's not all bad news. Okay. I'm, I'm someone that's identified as an addict sure, uh, and I've seen the balance in, in the condition that it presents. What have you seen as, as some
0: of the balance in the condition of addiction? Um, they're charming. <laughs> they're charismatic. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um, obsession because mm. a lot of addicts get obsessed with things and they get great. So um, whether it's fitness, usually when you plug that your addiction, uh, you get obsessed with something else and that becomes your new addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people stop drugs, but then now they're working out four times a day and they get obsessed with that. So um, when you're an addict, you're an extremist. And I think the gift in that is whatever you get ex- obsessed about, if it, if it's a positive thing, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side to that is you're also going to put a lot of pressure on yourself. And so a lot of addicts don't like themselves um, so there's no balance. So it's basically all or nothing. You either win or you're a loser. There's no second place. You know? mm, well that, I can certainly relate to that. I want st- to skip back for a second
1: because you, you started saying some words before that I wanted to go down, but I, I, I didn't go there. But I will now. One of the things that I've discovered in relationships uh, is the importance of boundaries. You know, mm-hmm. having boundaries, mm-hmm. but first sure. of all, knowing what a boundary is. Uh, knowing what your boundaries are, and then knowing how to communicate them in an effective way, um, would you would you say that perhaps a lot of relationship issues could be could be easily a lot more easily um, easily managed if there were perhaps a greater understanding of what boundaries were when it came to teaching people how to relate versus just allowing people to relate and hoping they can work it out themselves.
0: Yeah, I think this stuff should be taught in high school instead of, um, you know, geometry and things that we never use, right? Um, if we were taught uh, what a boundary looks like and how to do it and why it's important and to start setting those, uh, there would, there, I mean, I, I, there would be more self-esteem in this world with people. Um, so yeah, I think boundaries are, are everything, you know, if you don't know how to set a boundary, you're, you're puncturing your self-esteem balloon. Um, you're, you're going to train yourself to let people uh, uh, um, walk all over you or you're going to mute yourself. Um, you're going to do things where you're, you know, again, suppressing that solid self. And what's going to happen is you're going to be angry, resentful, depressed, all of that.
1: And so what does a boundary look like?
0: um i would kind of break it down to i'm trying to think of a way that you know we haven't heard before um i think it's about um are you whatever whatever if, if it's a person or uh, uh whatever it is a work situation or whatever is it expanding you or constricting you mm-hmm. right and if it is constricting you how much of that is you and how much of it that is the other object the person the work whatever and if it's If you could say honestly it is the other person or the that that um then a boundary needs to be set you know if um your relationship with the other person is expanding you um then that's a good thing that's that's someone you know creating a safe space for you Mm. and so if you're in an abusive relationship there's a lot of constriction there's a lot of restriction there's not a lot of expanding you know
1: And so how do you, when you realize that, holy shit, I'm perhaps, I I perhaps don't have a lot of boundaries. Uh, I'm perhaps feeling myself being um, punctured in this relationship and I now Mm -hmm. need to start putting them in how do you teach someone to start putting in boundaries in a healthy way that doesn't necessarily cause all sorts of, because here's what I've discovered. The moment you start putting boundaries in, that's when you really start to see what people, you, you learn a lot about people's emotional maturity when you put a boundary in place. Sure,
0: sure. I, I think the, the inability to, to draw a boundary is the result of something deeper. So mm-hmm. instead of just saying you need to draw a boundary, which that they may not have the tools to do that, yep. it's examining their relationship with themselves, you know, and the stronger your relationship with yourself is boundary are automatically drawn um if your relationship with yourself is poor Mm -hmm. if you think of yourself as you know not valuable not lovable if you think you're a piece of shit you could give them all the tools and all the how-tos and draw a boundary they're probably not going to draw a boundary you know so i think it's about going to the core which ultimately is about your relationship with yourself what does that look like is it healthy um or is it you know abusive is <laughs> yeah. like toxic toxic yeah you know
1: it's so interesting because you know in in school we are taught you know so many things that are completely irrelevant but one of the most important things that we need to know is how to relate to to other people and even in in most cases in relationship contexts people will teach you how to relate to other people but they won't necessarily teach you how to relate to yourself
0: yeah no one talks about that i mean even especially also uh um more so with men you know and that's why we're chasing the scoreboard we are performing we're finding worth in the external because our relationship with ourselves is not something we visit
1: you you've brought up the men uh the men a few times now and being a man i appreciate that but i also know that there's a context around you know this whole toxic masculinity um, and what is it to be a man and there seems to be a lot of Ah, uh, confusion out there around not only what is toxic masculinity but what does it mean to be a man and how do we become a man and so with all the experience that you've had like how do you have that conversation with someone like where do you start yeah
0: with? so I don't ever try to put on my definitions onto anyone else um, I think we all have our own definitions and that's what's important I think we all uh, need to go on our journey and that journey is forever right it never it's I'm not off of my journey it just becomes a new one um but it's the men that never go on one it's the men that never look inward it's the men that grow up in locker rooms and have um uh, distorted version definitions of what a man looks like i think those men uh are angry are dangerous are reactive um you know and they, they're very uh, uh they're they're posturing and they're um pulling from their solid their pseudo self holding up shields you know um that to me is toxic masculinity. I think when you decide to actually look inward, to be vulnerable, uh, to go on your uh, you know, self-betterment uh, journey, to actually want to be a better version of yourself, to explore um, what's wrong and why, that's the beginning, I think, of uh, creating a new definition of men. And, and what's happening in the world right now, it, the soil is so rich for men mm-hmm. to create new definitions
1: how important is it for for young boys to have a rite of passage when it comes to that transition mm. between, you know boyhood uh and yeah. and you know uh adulthood becoming a
0: you know a man yeah you know my divorce was my rite of passage yeah wow that was um you know um i think it's imperative you know and i i think in other cultures there, there is that i don't know if there, there really is one in like cities and in, in america you know, when you um, look at
1: most most ancient cultures that are alive today there is an initiation yeah. process you know Absolutely. there is a ceremony there is a you know there's a the, 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 there's an education of sorts you know you finally go hunting yep. with the men or yeah do you think
0: that it, it's something that is really missing from today yeah, I, I, I think we should create one. I think everyone may. I <laughs> don't know <laughs> um, that that would be amazing, because what yeah. happens is because we never have that. We we just, you know, we grow up, become adults uh, on paper. I mean, but we're inside, we're uh, boys and mm. we're, you know, just trying to perform or outdo or posture. And um, we never become mature. We never become men inside. You know, we just look, look like one on the outside.
1: Mm. Let's change gears a little bit now, uh, as we're as we're moving towards the the pointy end. You're you're now a dad. You've remarried.
0: Um, I'm not married, but uh, oh, no. uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a girlfriend, and um, I am a father. Five months. Wow. Yeah, Forty-seven. Yeah, I did the math, and when I um, drop her off in at high school, I'll be sixty-four, and they're going to be like, "Your grandpa is." Uh, <laughs> Your grandpa's is you pretty up, cool, gonna...
1: man. He's got a Harley <laughs> and tattoos, man. Oh <laughs> uh,
0: man. <laughs> I'm, you know, but I'm, I'm glad I did it later because um when I was 20, uh, or or you know most mm, people I have kids at that, I wouldn't I wouldn't have the tools. I would have I would not have not been there. Yeah. I would have been like the, the the dads that I told you I saw yeah. when I was working in yeah. nonprofit who was who was not there.
1: Same same. I didn't have my son yeah. until I was 38, 38, and uh, oh and it's nice after 38. And so for me, uh, there's so many there's so many correlations between yourself and, and your journey. My divorce, same. I I got divorced oh. four years ago now. Uh, And that was my rite of passage, you know, it was the first time that I actually took the time to start unraveling all of my loops, you know, and really doing a lot of uh, a disproportionate level of, you know, solitude and self-reflection to start going, who the fuck am I really? Um, Right.
0: And even even us having this conversation and realizing that our stories are parallel, um, but we're just two men who are, you know. Um, interested about being better version of us, that connection is powerful, you know? And mm. I think maybe the, the, the rite of passage that men need is actually each other, you they know, do. to stop being on, a, on an island, right? So um, to have these conversations, you know, over coffee or whatever, instead of about just sports and how much money you want to make and what kind of cars you want to drive, maybe have conversations like this, you know, mm. um, how you're feeling and who you want to be, because men don't talk like that. And so
1: what have you learned in the first
0: five months of being a dad about yourself? Oh man, the first three months is just survival. It's just, <laughs> you know, and the, probably and the, baby really, is the blob. I should probably come back at the 15 month mark and I'll ask the same question. Yeah. A um, but now I'm learning about patience, I'm learning about uh, moments, I'm learning about. Um, uh, reshuffling what's important to me. And, uh, I want to, I, I don't want to rush this and hope that she's two and five and seven. I want to enjoy the moments because, you know, they say the days are long, but the years are short. So mm. I'm I'm, tra- I'm just trying to stay present as, as much as I can. It's yeah. hard. You know, it really is.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, um, you know, as a dad myself, I have to say as someone who's development oriented, it's been the best development program I've ever signed up mm. for. Oh, yeah, um, of course, of course. From a leadership perspective, but also from, um, yeah, a self-awareness perspective. Because one of the things that mm-hmm. I've noticed, and it might be too early for you, is um, you know, as my son started to grow, I started to hear different people's voices and see different people's behaviors coming out of me. And by oh, different wow. voices and behaviors, I'm referring to, you know, mom, dad, and other people that yep. were at that time. Sure. And that in itself has been so insightful to help me understand more about myself. Mm-hmm. and be okay with the way I want to do things rather than just behaving based on, well, this is how it, I was shown. You know, one of those aspects is, is and I don't know what your philosophy is, but I'm pretty sure it'll be similar to mine on spanking. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even a few years ago on Facebook, someone put up a, a post saying, you know, I was spanked every, as a child and I grew up with this condition called respect for my elders. And I reshared that and I got a whole bunch of criticism over that because it wasn't bad at the time. I didn't have a fucking clue right but now you know being a dad i remember sitting, seeing my son i've i've um i've never hit him um i've mm-hmm. smacked him maybe once or twice but like like i'm talking like this yeah yeah yeah. Um, and the response was enough to never do it again but i remember mm-hmm. looking at my son when he was about two and a half years of age i saw him on uh, looking at him on a couch on the couch in our house and i looked at him and i started visualizing myself doing everything to him that had been done to me from a disciplinary. Oh. Right. Right. Look back on my childhood and say, I was an abused child. I had a great childhood. I was very loved, but I copped a lot of fucking beatings. And I started looking at my son and I ran through my head and all of a sudden I just burst into tears. Mm. I I couldn't comprehend doing those things. And you know, I was I had this juxtaposition of you know, this this borderline of resentment towards my mum for doing it to me, but then this enormous level of compassion to go, fuck, what were you experiencing? You know, as as a as a single parent to you know, to want to discipline a child, you know, at that level. And um, it's been incredibly rewarding for me to see these loops come up but have that level of mindfulness and awareness to go, go, hang on, this isn't me, but let's have a look at where it comes from and then let's yeah. you know, look at how that shaped me and right. let's learn a lesson from this.
0: And, yeah, I'm I'm excited for you, mate, because five months in, do you like being a dad? Um, I do, I do. Uh, I'm ready for it. Uh, I think it's the new chapter uh, in my life. You know, um, I, I don't think I would have been ready for it anytime before 47. But um, I'm, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little less angry today, so I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah.
1: You will be tested, but yeah, yeah I being sure. a dad has made me a better person, better leader, better business person, better coach. That's going to make you an incredible, an even more incredible therapist than you are today. Oh, thank you, John. I've really enjoyed this conversation, um, and I'd actually like to extend the invitation to yeah, catch up for a a, a coffee, a drink, or a, a whatever, sure. because you're an incredible human being. Oh, thank but I'm you. i what's next from here? Like, where are you going from here? I know you've you've got this book that's that's been coming out. You've got another one that you've just sold. Um, yeah. What's
0: next? Um, I, I I'm just more of the same. You know, um, creating a dialogue, uh, uh trying to live as solid as I can, um trying to be mindful, trying to be present and talk about anything that, that fires me up that I'm passionate about. And so, um, I don't know, I don't know, but, um, I'm excited to, um, find out, you that's, know,
1: that's very cool. So if people want yeah. to find out more about you and your book, where can they go to find out I used to be a, a miserable fuck?
0: <laughs> uh, so that book, that book's wide. It's everywhere. And then, yeah. um, they could just find me on, uh, I guess on Instagram at the angry therapist. I'm pretty active on that platform. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, and thank you, thank you um, for, for creating a bridge between business and wellness. I love what you're doing, and I love um, that you are having these conversations. You know, which which isn't necessarily business oriented, but they're definitely affect affect people um, in business.
1: Mate, thank you, I, and I appreciate you yeah. on here. Um, and uh, like I said before, I think this is not going to be the last time that you and I talk.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please thank John Kim. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning into Unstoppable with me, your host Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think, and also let you know your comments. Help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website KerwinRay.com and also check us out on all social media on the handle at KerwinRay. Thanks for joining us.